Hello and welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims, and today we have a guy I'm thrilled to talk to. I know Charlie is too. This is, is certainly one of the all-time greats in Admirals history, one of the all-time great characters, one of the legendary players uh, played on those great teams in the 80s for the Milwaukee Admirals. Uh, he's Dale Yakachuk joining us today. Uh, Dale, it's great to talk to you. How are things going? Well, thank you guys very much for having me. It's great that you guys are doing these things, and uh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Very, very well. I tell you what, I I love, I was part of a, sh- a radio show, Charlie, and you'll remember this. Uh, it was a few years ago when the Admirals introduced their new jerseys, uh, their new sweaters at the Bradley Center. There was that season ticket holder party, and it was a wonderful event, and the new jerseys were unveiled, and um, that night, Mike Wojciechowski and I were doing our radio show, which we normally do. And um, for the first time in, in years, Wojo and, and Dale Yakachuk got to speak on the phone. And what was even better for me, um, because it reminded me so much of, of how good the Internet is. My dad was in the Air Force and he reconnected with so many old Air Force buddies through the Internet. And, and it's just been wonderful to see. And if, if I'm not mistaken, Dale, and I'm sure you remember that night, I think that was the first night you had spoken with Danny LaCour and Fred Berry in, in quite some time. Yes, absolutely. That's true. And that conversation led to both those guys coming up here to Canada and having a visit with me. So you guys reconnected me with two good old teammates. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a thrill. And I, I, do you, when you have something like that, do you pick up where you left off 30 years ago or is it, uh, is that too hard to do? No, we absolutely picked right off. Uh, Fred's from my, my neck of the woods, kind of Alberta. Danny's from Quebec, of course, but I played hockey with Danny on my line. So we had a great time. We, uh, we, I picked him up at the airport and we drove through Banff and that's a nice little mountain town on my way out to BC. I have a residence in BC and a residence here in Calgary. So we spent a week together golfing and getting caught up on what's been happening in Milwaukee, the hockey team, the city, and everything else. You know, one of, the, one of the big, the biggest disappointments, maybe not the biggest, there were so many disappointments to the way the, the season ended for us this year, but a great disappointment was that the season, we, we played a game on a, on a Wednesday, and then the Thursday the season was canceled, and you were scheduled to fly in to Milwaukee for the first time in, in 30 years. 35 years that Friday to, to, to reunite. And I, I know, uh, I think Richie Sirwa was, was, was Richie going to be there and, uh, Freddie was going to yep. be there. And so that was a John great Flesh. and fleshy was going to come out, come around the, uh, come around the lake. Uh, and yep. obviously that was a great disappointment that you couldn't come out for that too. I would assume. Right. Oh, absolutely. I had my bags packed. I had contacted a few of the people that I'm still in touch with out there, not a lot of them. And I was really looking forward to it. And it was a major disappointment for me too. And, and hopefully we get to do that again. Uh, not hopefully we will get to do that again. Once, you know, things get back to normal and who knows when that's going to be, but we will for sure do that again. Well, I, I would love it. I would absolutely love it. I, you know, I'm curious and we'll get to, to your time in Milwaukee in just a second, but uh, your junior career, you finished up playing in Portland, which is a, a great city to play uh, now in the Western Hockey League. But I was looking through some things and I found a list, uh, and maybe you know this, and this is from about 10 years ago. Um, 
where Ken Hodge, and I think Ken Hodge was your coach there, right? The former Bruins? Yes, he was. So Ken yeah. Hodge was the coach, and he's uh, uh, he named you. It, it's a list of the best fighters to play for Portland. And Ken Hodge oh. says, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this, Ken Hodge says about Dale Yakachuk, Yak was the ultimate street fighter. I think that's, <laughs> that's pretty street awesome. Street fighter on the ice. Oh, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I don't know. <laughs> that's, and you, that's I'm assuming player. you hadn't heard that. No, I hadn't heard that. No, I hadn't heard that at all. No, nope. that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> well, I guess I, I guess I must have fought a little dirty or something. It, it wasn't it wasn't Queensbury rules or whatever you call it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anything at all costs, right? Whatever it takes. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, especially back at that time, too. I mean, that was in the late 70s, and was, hockey was very, very physical back then. Everybody modeled their team after the old Broad Street Bullies in Philadelphia, right? So every team was like that. We you had know, heard so many stories, and it was a little after that, but not too far after that, where, especially in that part of the country, uh, in, in that part of the world, where teams would have to have pregame warm-ups separately because – the pregame warm-up would just turn into a Donnybrook. Well, that that is so true. In fact, uh, one of the stories I was telling some guys a while, a while ago there is we would make horrendous road trips. We'd go from Portland. We were the only team in the United States. So we would go on 18-day road trips. We'd play 16 games in 18 days. Oh, my all gosh. All the way from – all the way from Portland, Oregon, all the way to Flin Flon, Manitoba, oh. play them twice, then, then work our way back to Portland there. And on the bus on the way home, the guys, you know, we wouldn't be saying, well, I got eight goals and 14 assists on this trip. It'd be, well, I got 16 fights. The other guy, well, I got 13. Well, I got 12. So, <laughs> oh, that's seriously? how it was back then. That's funny. Uh, be, how, how many fights do you figure you had in a season back then? I mean, you're a kid and you're uh, all, you're all kids. And, but it, that was a big part, as you said, everybody was modeled after what Fred Shiro in Philadelphia was doing. Oh, for sure. Well, you, you can't count the fights that you did have at warm up. And that's one of the reasons what they, <laughs> they, they made you take, but well, I bet you I've been in 20 fights in warmups oh, you know, you know, before the game. Uh, you know, we, our old coach, and you you would have played against him, obviously, especially we'll get to this season later in 82-83, but our old head coach, Claude Noel, we were talking one day, and we were bringing the Hanson brothers in, and, you know, and he says, you know, they, they made that movie, and people thought it was a joke. People thought it was embellished. It wasn't embellished at all. They'd send out those – they'd send those guys out. You could skate as many guys as you want in warm-ups, or I don't know if it was as many, but you could skate more than you can now. And guys would go out with casts on their arms, just looking for a fight. They weren't playing in the game. They're just going out there to brawl. Absolutely. That is so true. In fact, before I got to Milwaukee, I probably played with or against probably four or five of the guys that were in that Slapshot movie. Oh, for sure. Steve, uh, Steve Carlson for a long, for the longest time, he lived in, in Kenosha. He was just south, just south of here in Milwaukee in Kenosha. Yeah. Uh, oh, is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyways, let's talk about you. You come out of juniors. Uh, you're a draft pick of the Canadians, but you, I, I don't know. Talk a little bit about that. It looks like it, it was Nova Scotia, then an affiliate of the of the Canadians. How did your transition from junior hockey to pro hockey happen? 
Well, that's a good question. It was might have been a mistake on my part at that time. I was I was drafted high by the Montreal Canadiens as the 30th pick, but they had just finished winning four Stanley Cups in a row. And the Winnipeg Jets were in the WHA, the rival league at the time. Right. And they they weren't for sure going to be in the NHL or not, but they just lost uh, a couple of their Swedish superstars, um, Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nielsen. Ulf Nielsen, yeah. Sure. So, so, so they'd never ever seen me play the Winnipeg Jets. Montreal had seen me, but they saw that I was the 30th pick by the Winnipeg Jets. So, or, or by the 30th pick by the Montreal Canadians. Canadians. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so they signed me to a contract and the contract I signed back then, and this is where if I had to do it all over again, I might've changed the way I did it, but I got a $75,000 signing bonus back then. Wow. I was on a, I was on a, I was on a one-way contract for three years at 40, 45 and 55,000 a year on a one-way contract. And Montreal Canadians weren't offering any signing bonus, and they were offering me a three-way contract, which I pro- and the three-way contract was for twenty-five thousand if you played in the NHL, or thirty maybe, fourteen if you played in the American Hockey League, and seven thousand if you played in the IHL at East Coast at the time there. Wow. So, wow. yeah, so I. I signed the one way I signed with the Winnipeg jets on that contract. And, um, and I, I, I still regret doing that. Although the part that worked out for us very well was I tied that money in with my dad and we started an oil field service company and, uh, we, we, it turned out very well for us. We made a lot of money on that, on that deal. But uh, the biggest regret I do have on that guys is that I saw so many guys that I played junior hockey against have real solid long NHL careers that I used to dominate them. I used to think when I, when I played against them, I'd step on the ice and then step off the ice. And, and, and a lot right. of these guys lasted a long, long time. So I ended up with a team like Winnipeg. And the next thing that happened from there, they merged with the Houston hockey team. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, and I wasn't ready. Montreal wasn't going to have me playing in Montreal or anywhere like that for a while. They were going to develop me. And, and back in that time, they all said that, the Nova Scotia Voyagers would have been a better NHL team than a lot of the NHL teams that were there at the time. Right. So, so that, that, that's what happened to me. That's, that's kind of where I ended up. And then once I got, once I signed with Winnipeg, I wasn't ready. They, they brought a new general manager in John Ferguson, the old tough guy in the, in the NHL with Montreal sure. Canadians. And he was more focused on getting me to waive my one-way contract. You know, and I, you know, and, and I'd already made commitments with the service company, we oil field service company we started that I, I really couldn't afford to do it. I couldn't afford to give up 45000 guaranteed for probably me making $7,000. So yeah. that's kind of the way it went. I, I thought, well, I'll show these guys. And so for the first two years of that contract, I, I, they bounced me around everywhere you can think of. They, they sent me to the Philadelphia Firebirds, uh, American Hockey League team. Then they sent me to Nova Scotia Voyagers, who was affiliated with Montreal. But what the deal was when they joined the NHL, the 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 guys in the WHA, the the, the NHL teams could could snap them up, could take them back. They could only protect two guys each WHA team that was coming to the NHL. Right. So Montreal wanted to have a look at me, but I wasn't going to be one of the two guys they were going to protect. They were going to protect some of the, the, the higher end hockey players at the time. I was only 20 or 21 years old at the time. Sure. 
So that's kind of what happened there. And then, uh, and then John Ferguson just tried to make my life miserable. He, he sent me to, um, the next year he sent me to, uh, I went to Philadelphia, the American Architects of Nova Scotia. The following year, they sent me to Cincinnati, Ohio, which was one of the teams that didn't get to join the NHL. So all the WHA teams that joined the NHL supplied um, Cincinnati with players. Christmas time that year, Cincinnati folded. Winnipeg then sent me to Tulsa, which was their farm team, but I wasn't getting any, really any ice time there. So that was the second year of my guaranteed contract. And then the third year of my guaranteed contract, I went to training camp. They didn't even let me on the ice. They said, we're going to pay you and just get lost. So there wow. I was as a 22-year-old guy thinking, holy cow, boy, this is, you know, I'm not going anywhere. So I sat around. I was too, I was too embarrassed even to go home. I just, I just stayed in Winnipeg and I was embarrassed. I didn't want to go back to my dad and say, listen, I'm 22. I got nowhere to go play. So a friend of mine, Doug Robb, who played in Milwaukee, sure. and I grew up with Doug Robb, he got a hold of me and said, listen, we could use a guy like you in Milwaukee. Would you be willing to come to Milwaukee? I said, you better believe I'll come to Milwaukee. Yeah. So I, I, I came to Milwaukee and uh, the rest is history. Was, was so What a was, story, though. That is wow. an uh, incredible story. Uh, and so was it Phil? Did you Was Phil the general manager at the time? Uh, he was the, yeah, obviously so was the head coach. Yep. Yeah, and he was GM too. Both. Yeah, yep. so he was he was GM uh, at the time as well. So did you negotiate your contract with Phil, or was it just a standard? As you know, you had obviously you had a good a great pedigree, a difficult start to your career. So did you? Was there any negotiation, or did they just say, okay, hey, you know, Dale, come on in, and uh, here's here's what we can offer you, and take it or leave it. Well, that's. Actually, I, I, I missed the step there, too, because after my second year, the, the third year I went there, that I'm in, in my last year, my guaranteed contract, I went to Richmond, Virginia. They had an yeah. East Coast Hockey League team in, in Richmond, Virginia. So I played in Richmond. We didn't have any practices. There, there was no ice times available. So here I am at 21 <laughs> or 22 years old. We had two practices the whole year. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and teams were falling by the wayside in that league. That was, you know, we're talking the early 80s. And then yeah. I went to I went to Baltimore halfway through that year. Uh, Richmond asked me, says, well, you, gotta, you know, we, we, we'd like to send you to Baltimore. They're really interested in you. We're not going to be doing anything here. I said, okay, I'll go to Baltimore because I want to keep playing. And then when my contract ran out with Winnipeg, then I'd at least give it another fresh, fresh shot. And then that's when Doug Robb got a hold of me that following summer. He said, listen, you know, would you be willing to come to Milwaukee? I said, sure, I would. Uh, I got, uh, Phil got a hold of me. I came in there and tried out for the team like everybody else and, and made the team. That, that you're in Baltimore or that short time in Baltimore there, Gene Ubriaco was your coach. That's absolutely right. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, he had come from yep. the Admirals. He was the Admirals' first coach. I shouldn't say he was not the first coach. He was the first coach after the Admirals turned pro. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I know. It's funny. I I, I, I knew that actually. Yeah. Uh, so you start so, off. Oh, go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say, so you get to Milwaukee and I mean, you, you've had such a rough time from what you're telling us. It was not the start that 
uh, when you're growing, it's one thing, you know, when you're a kid and you're, okay, my dream is to play in the NHL or my dream is to play pro sports, major league sports, whatever sport it might be. Uh, your story is pro is more, it occurs a lot more than the story of the kid who gets drafted in the second round and is playing in the NHL every night. So when you have that taste and, and that kind of really crushing type of situation, how quickly did it take, did you ever lose the love of the game and how quickly did it take, if you did, how quickly did it, uh, did it come back? You know, that's, that's a great question that, that, that is so true. I, I've met so many guys over the years. Uh, I mean, I saw a lot of guys in the IHL and other leagues growing that were such good players that for whatever reason or not, you know, I'm not saying they got the bad end of the stick or whoever knows anybody's story or whatever else, but there's a lot of stories like that. I never lost the love of the game though. I mean, I, at that time I was only 22 years old or whatever else. And I still thought I had a chance of playing somewhere. Sure. I, I, I still I still wanted to make it somewhere and I still wanted to prove to both my parents and all the friends and family that supported me throughout the years that yeah, I can do this. There was a reason I got drafted 30th overall in the NHL. So I, I, I never lost the love of it. Never lost it at all. And that right away from in Milwaukee, you know, you start putting up numbers. Uh, and who do you remember who you started playing? Were you playing with Danny right away? Or was it you just get thrown in there and you just got to sort of do your thing? Uh, but, you know, as soon as you come in in that 81-82 season, uh, you're producing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I started with Danny. I really can't remember who I started with. But uh, it wasn't long until I was the guy that in, in junior hockey, my, my right winger, he scored 70-some goals. So I, I was always a pretty good playmaker guy. Sure. And then I, I just needed guys guys on my lines that could finish. I mean, I could draw a couple of guys to me and then, and then feed a pass off. I, I, I think one of the reasons that I got put together with, with Danny LaCours and Eve Preston was none of us wore a helmet. So I think <laughs> Phil liked that idea. And he said, well, we'll send all three of you guys out there. And I think the first game, I think Danny got two and Eve got two and I got three or four assists. So I think <laughs> that was it. <laughs> is that marketing? What is that? To send you out without, without a helmet. Well, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was pretty cool. I grew up watching hockey where they didn't wear helmets. Right. So right. I thought, well, what the heck? You know, I'll give it a try. And that's those teams back then. We probably had five or six or seven of us that never wore a helmet. Oh, oh sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no question. Like you look in the team pictures or, or not team pictures, you look in some pictures from those games and I would say most guys weren't wearing helmets. Uh, I know. I know. It's point. insane when you think about it now. Did you wear, speaking of that, did you had to wear a helmet in juniors, didn't you? Yes, you did have to wear a helmet in junior, but if you were drafted, the year that I was drafted, if you were drafted that year or before, before you did not have to wear a helmet. It was after that year that if you got drafted after that year, you were required to wear a helmet. And you're having 20 pregame fights. <laughs> That's <laughs> <Yeah>. unbelievable. <laughs> well, it, and the, the reason that is, is because, when you think about it, I, I all of a sudden played with six different teams my first three years, three different leagues. I'm a guy at my size. Of, you know, you're looking to try and prove yourself. So whoever wants to try and prove you, prove it with you. So, yeah, of right. course, absolutely. I'm sure that every guy looks at you and is like, well, I got I got to fight the biggest guy on the other the team. Guy, and, yeah. and there you are. And, and it doesn't give you much of a chance to develop into your skills. You know, when, when you're when you're icing your knuckles in the 
penalty box or you're not getting the time to show that you can play. And I mean, and I think that's really what, one of the remarkable things, you know, Wojo always says, you know, if you can't score 30 goals, you got to have 300 penalty minutes. I either, you either put the puck in the net or you, you got, you got to entertain them some other way. And, but you did both. Not many guys can say that. Not many guys. And I mean, maybe you're not scoring. You did score 30 a few times, but this prolific assists is ridiculous, but you could, but you also, you were, you were a physical guy because of your size, because of the time that it was and because you didn't back away from it, but you did, you were able to produce. And I think that's really a remarkable thing when you look back on your career, uh, how, what a prolific scorer and playmaker you were. Well, I, I appreciate that guys. I, I, somebody told me a while ago, they said that, that they think I'm the only person that ever played pro hockey that had over 200 penalty minutes and a hundred assists in a season. So that's all right. I would, I would, yeah, I would feel safe putting a lot of money down on that. Yeah. Whatever's in my pocket. Anyway, I would feel safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No I, I don't, the, the list of people with a hundred, with a hundred assists in a season in hockey can't be very long. Yeah. That's not a long list either. Yeah. Uh, and then to match Bob Noel with, almost got there. Did he in, in that same season? Uh, I, he he might have been kind of close. That they were uh, they were the Toledo Gold Diggers, and and that's yeah. and that goes to my point of, about giving guys a chance. They gave uh, the guy that was on his wing a chance, Dirk Graham, Dirk and he Graham, ends up being sure. the captain of Team Team Canada and the captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. Right? Yeah. That year, that year you're speaking of, by the way, uh, Claude had 82 assists. Graham had 70 goals, and that's the year Danny scored 75, and you had 100 assists. So, well, let's uh, talk. Okay, yeah, let's talk about that season. It's the uh, you know, Aaron and I have we 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 are sort of history, Admiral history sort of buffs, and Don Tanner. I don't know if you remember Don at all, but uh, uh-huh. he uh, you know he provides us with all this information, and the 82-83 team goes down in Admiral's lore as the, you know, the best team to not, to not, to not win it and the best team in team history until we did win it in 2004. Uh, so, you know, when did you re- obviously you got a lot of guys coming back from 81, 82, but when did you realize in that 82, 83 season, like, Hey, we got something special here. We got a chance to win this. We, we realized it, I think fairly early in that year, but it was kind of, it was, it, it was different then because we weren't affiliated with any, any NHL team. So, and, and, and some of the NHL teams, that was their number one farm team was what was their IHL, IHL team. team. Time. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So, we, you know, we were, we were guys that were kind of cast off to the side and, and, and we knew that we were all pretty good players and we wanted to show something. And we, you know, I, I think we did. And that was the biggest disappointment still to the day is, that we couldn't have brought a, a championship to Milwaukee, but I was so happy. I, I follow the hockey team every year now, and 2004 was made me as happy as anything. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really. It was pretty remarkable, especially for for Phil and for Woj and Fran Eddy, people who had been along yeah. for so long that they could to see us win it was really a. It was a remarkable thing. That was that happened to be my third year with the team or fourth year with the team. So like, you know, to me it was like, oh. Don't you just do this every few years? But no, yeah. no, that's, that's, that's not the case. I, I thought you guys were going to do it last year. Holy cow. That would have been disappointing. We would have liked the chance to try. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, you, it's, it's not often where you look at a team and you look at every level of what they're doing and 
and, and saying, wow, that's really good. Like we had scorers, we had physical players, we had defense, we had defensive defensemen, we had offensive defensemen, we had the best goaltending tandem in team history. Uh, it was yep. just like, well, it, uh, it, 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 what Charlie is talking about that, that team that you were on in 82, 83, you could say the same thing, right? I mean, you had guys who put the puck in the net, obviously, and guys who could throw hands and, you know, players like, like Gord Stafford and he, these guys that were um, maybe a little unsung players. I mean, Gord still had 72 points that year, but guys, Kevin Willison and guys who just yep. could do the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and quite a few of those guys I, I played against through the years coming up to there from, from your Gord Staffords to your Cal Roadhouses, to your Willisons, your Doug Robs, your Fred Berries. There was a whole bunch of those different guys through those years that I played against growing, getting, getting to that stage. How, how, I mean, Phil played, we all knew that Phil played sort of a, uh, uh, you know, up and let's get up and let's get up and down the ice. And maybe you don't even know who your uh, starting goalie is, but ultimately there's only one puck on the, on the ice. And so how did you guys manage that where you got, I mean, look, Danny, Danny, oh, you know, would say there's not a shot he doesn't like. Uh, and, uh, but you still have, like you're, like you're saying, you, we still have Doug Robb who's scoring 30 and Eve Preston scoring 30 and Freddie Berry's got almost 50 that game. And, and then there's you who's got the, the most prolific season in Admiral's history. How'd you guys manage to, to, to not basically piss each other off by, uh, by scoring so much? Well, I, I think with that group of guys, there's enough of the guys. Well, when one of those guys you're talking about got a penalty or something else, so you'd get more of that ice time coming your way. But we were all very unselfish. We we really wanted to win bad. You know, it didn't turn out for us, but we were a very unselfish group. We all we 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 became a very tight group of guys. What do you uh, remember about that that series, that Toledo series? Oh boy, I remember the shellacking we got in games four or five I don't know they took it, it was, to us but it was game five it, yeah. It, yeah it was it was horrible I mean that, that was that was something else I mean have you guys been into Toledo and and, and seen what it was like back then or no. any of that stuff no no well but we uh, what, go ahead go ahead we dressed in, a, in in their in their boiler room we would come up, we'd walk up about four flights of stairs or, or six not flights but eight or nine stairs We'd get into the lobby where lobby area there, there'd be police lined up all through there. There'd be police holding, holding uh, barricades or holding uh, plastic tarps there for us to walk through and it'd be 10 cent beer night. So you'd have <laughs> all the fans you can imagine with four, six, eight beers on them. And it, and they weren't buying the beer to drink them. They'd be thrown right. on you. We, we'd get to the, our, our bench and it smelled like a brewery on our bench. Oh, <laughs> so real. I don't know if you've heard. Have you heard the story of what happened to Wojo at that game? No, no. So, so here's the story of, of what happened to Woj, which Aaron and I contend is maybe the greatest minor league hockey story ever. The, the reason we started to do this podcast is because of this story, which and, was chronicled good. actually back in the newspaper in both newspapers in Milwaukee at the time. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, so Woj goes into the game. Or, or is there for the game, obviously. He goes up to the press box, and uh, the owner of the, of the Mud Hens, or the Mud Hens, the uh, Gold Diggers, was uh, uh, Bill Beacon. And 
Yeah. Bill's, Bill's got his uh, press guy. He's got his buddies sitting where Rail Boucher and um, there's another reporter from Milwaukee are supposed to be sitting. And Woj says, hey, we need to sit there. And Bill Beacon says, no, you don't. This is where I'm sitting. And Woj is like, well, no, according to IHL bylaws, this is where I'm supposed to be sitting. And Bill Beacon gets up and hit and punches Woj. And okay. <laughs> yeah. And, but then Beacon hits his head on like a pipe. And then he goes and tells the cops that Woj assaulted him and that they need to go to arrest him. And so Woj has got to go into the locker room and in the, Admiral's they, locker room. in the Admiral's locker room and the cops are looking all over for him. They can't find him. And apparently they, some, it was someone's idea. Uh, I, I don't know if it Not was. To uh, snuck him out in a stick bag. Yes. <laughs> yep. I, I, I do remember. I, I remember that's for sure. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you used to on snuck him out. So who's, do you know whose idea it was or what, how it oh, went about? Because you had, well, you, you know, have just, you had just come off like this crushing defeat, right? And now you're worried about, yep. now you're worried about this guy. That's part of your team going to jail. Like that's well, that's kind of a shift in in mentality. Well, I, I'm not sure exactly who's idea. It might have been mine because I I had seen that done before. I had seen that done before <laughs> two, two years before that, or a year before that. When I was in two years before that, I was in or three, I don't know, three or four before that. When I was in Cincinnati, we did that with a guy called Frank Beaton. His name was Frank Never Beaten. You know, that was his nickname, Never. But he, he did get beat, but. Yeah. Anyway, there was there was warrants out for his arrest, not from something in hockey or something else there. And the boys said, well, let's put him in a stick bag. And that's what they did. Took him out with a stick bag. <laughs> so did you, So let's go back to Never. Let's go to his story for a second. So you threw him in a uh-huh. stick bag. Did you have to put him in the bus? And so he's got to ride in the undercarriage of the bus for a couple miles? No, no, no. As, as soon as we got him out of there, we put him, yeah, actually, well, we put him in there. The cops realized he wasn't coming in there, and then they left, and then we didn't move anywhere until until they left and then let him out, and he got back on the bus. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, that is so good. And Woj would be really happy to hear how that uh, how the sn- st- sneak him out in a stick bag. Uh, the uh, origin story, the yeah. The origin, how that, was, how that came about. That's so funny. Well, well, I can tell you this in junior hockey, when we were in Portland, Oregon, there was no other team in, in, in the States. So we'd snuck more than one guy across that border in a stick bag. <laughs> wow. See, this is why we started this podcast. So we could tell these stories that you just can't yeah. say, you just can't tell a, rep- a reporter. Yeah. No, uh, no, no. Uh, you know, Speaking of another story that uh, sort of goes down in Admiral's lore, also involving you and that 82-83 season, and really the reason that everyone involved in Milwaukee says you didn't win the MVP that year, uh, involves an incident with a linesman. And uh, we, I guess we got to ask you about it. Like, what, what happened there, and were you trying to shoot the puck at the guy's groin? Yes. Yeah, it was. And you, yeah, you know what? And you did it. You should have been the MVP just for doing it. Well, you know what it was? It was, it was the referee is who it was. 
And and just before that play there, Richie Sirwa was our goalie there. And he, somebody shot the puck around the boards there, whatever else. And this referee, it hit his skate. And Richie was already left the net to go get it behind the net. And the puck went right to one of their players. And he banged it into an empty net. So that was fine and dandy. You know, we were giving the ref hell or whatever else. Hey, come on, lift your feet up. You didn't even try and climb the boards to get out of the way of that. Right. So the next two shifts later or whatever else, all of a sudden, uh, I think he was calling a penalty on me for something. It was because, first of all, I was chirping at him regarding that Sirwai incident. And so the puck was, or he was in the corner, his arm is raised. The puck is probably right around the, the face-off circle. I knew that as soon as somebody touched the puck, the whistle would blow and I'd go to the penalty box. So I didn't even exactly see him. I just spun around and just fired that puck in the vicinity of that area there, and it got him straight where you said. He went, he went, he went down on his ass, and he couldn't talk, and he just kept pointing to the exit of the rink. You know, I said, what are you saying? Say it now. Say it now. One of the linesmen came in there and said, he's telling you you've got a game misconduct. You're out. So that's what that that's what happened there. That's true. I, I, I think I lost three games or something. I got yeah. a three game or maybe a five game suspension. I'm not sure. Yeah, three, uh, it was three. It was three. Yeah. 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 I think, I think, yeah. Tom, I think uh, the, the story goes that I think Tom Barry was the uh, the commissioner of the league at the time. Uh or whoever it was, and they uh-huh. calls up Phil and says, "Hey, we got to suspend. You know, we got to sus- suspend Yakachuk for that." Uh, but <laughs> hey, you guys got a big crowd coming up on Saturday night, so we'll just announce it on Sunday that he's suspended for three games and he can play that Saturday. <laughs> but that that that's that's what happened too. That's what they do in that league for sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> the the, uh, the players on that team. There are so many guys that obviously fans loved and there's a there's a mythology when you have a special team like that there be there there's a mythology that develops and a few of the guys on that team like john flesh has always been described as a character and i i was so excited to meet him and you in person uh that weekend but it didn't happen but John Flesh, uh, Der- the late Derek Davis. I mean, yeah. guys like that. I mean, what what kind of players and what kind of teammates were they? Well, I think John Flesh. I don't know if you guys ever ever did you ever read the book about uh, Dave Schultz's book. This is they call me the Hammer. Long time ago. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a bit in there about John Flesh. If you go through that book again, there's a thing in there about John Flesh. Dave Schultz. I think by this time he got traded from Philadelphia and he went to Pittsburgh and, and Dave Schultz was telling the story about this guy. He says, there's this guy on our team that if he had a horrible shift, he'd come back to the bench and he'd whack his stick as hard as he could against his head, you know, endlessly. And the thing about this guy, he never wore a helmet. Well, this one shift, he had a real bad shift that he knocked himself out with his own stick. And that's true. Yeah, he knocked himself out. John Flesh, John Flesh would go MIA for a week at a time. We wouldn't know where John was. Wow. Yeah, we, yeah. That, I, it, I think it was John Flesh who, who missed practice, and, and Phil says to Fleshy, where you been? And he said, I got abducted by aliens. 
and Phil just dropped it right there. He's, I don't, I'm not even going to, I don't even want to hear anything more. I'll just leave it at that. That is, that is true. And it's probably more than one shift or one practice. It'd probably be about three in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and as far as, as far as Derek Davis goes, he was, he was my roommate too for, for a little bit of that time there. And, that guy really wanted to win. And that guy there was probably the most ruthless guy I've ever seen in my life. He, he held no quarter. He did not matter. Even back then, you know, you, you through the years, you'd be playing hockey like just with some other guys. Enough. And then, and then go just, ahead. just on the ice or off the ice or everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. He was ruthless. He was absolutely ruthless. Uh, there's a story I probably shouldn't tell, but uh, this is the, the, the second, maybe I'll tell it, but uh, I'll tell this one first. We were, uh, we were right across the street at Major Goolsby's from the rink there. Yeah. And we didn't have a practice. So we didn't have, we, we, we had the day off and there was a concert going on there. We knew all the bartenders and waitresses at Major Goolsby's. So we were in there drinking probably from noon till the concert got out at, midnight or one o'clock in the morning <laughs> and um the concert lets out and these guys come out of the out of the concert and i don't know which band it was there but so we're in there and they come in there about eight or nine of them or ten of them and there's like myself and eve preston and bruce mccray and Derek davis and fred berry and well five or six of us maybe and about 10 or 11 of those guys but a couple of us were in no condition even moving off the chairs but anyway Next thing you know, one of these guys is in Fred Berry's face. So Boxcar gets up and says, if you're so tough, why don't me and you step outside? And we went, oh boy, here we go. Oh, goodness. So, of course, back then, they'd, they'd give you your drinks to take with you. Well, here, you guys, don't forget your drinks. Okay, well, here. <laughs> yeah. So, so we go outside there between the, the rink and Major Goolsby's, and there's a street right there. And huh? we go outside there, and Derek says to the guy, and this guy was huge. And we were, I, you know, I thought, well, this guy doesn't know what he's getting into, but Derek doesn't know what he's getting into neither. You know what I mean? So right. Derek looks at the guy there and he says, well, you're so goddamn tough. Excuse the language. Take your jacket off. He had this nice leather jacket. The guy got his jacket half off. Only thing that was on was still on his sleeves. Boxcar came in there and kicked him in the groin and the fight was on. <laughs> this guy went down and... He, he he filled him in. He filled him with probably 20 punches. And there I'm on the sideline kind of watching and we're stopping these other guys. I got drinking each hand and I'm stopping these other guys from getting in there. Next thing you know, I get sucker punched and down I go. But what woke me up was my, my, my drink spilt right on my face. So next thing you know, I'm back up. So we got up there and took care of business all the people in the bar were watching through the windows and they're all of our, the waitresses and the bartenders and whatever else. And we could see them all clapping and cheering, whatever. And we said, well, let's get out of here. We can't let anybody know that we're doing this. <laughs> so we get running down the street and Boxcar says, whoa, whoa, wait. So he goes back and takes the rest of that jacket off the guy or still his arms were still in the jacket, took the jacket off and he took it with him. <laughs> <laughs> So he got a, he got a brand new leather jacket on the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and one and w one more quick thing about uh, one more quick thing about boxcar was we lived together and we lived right uh, beside um, oh what's it called the the tracks the bar called it's called the tracks I don't know if it's still there or not yeah. anyway 
we, uh, you know, you'd know all these other teams, all these other players on their teams, especially if you played in the same league with them, the Western Hockey League or whatever. I'll see your friends with some of them. And, you know, most of us would could, could leave it on the ice. So I'd ask Boxcar all the time. The other teams would come to this, you know, they've got to spend the night before their flight leaves the next day. So, okay, well, we meet him at a bar at, at uh, the tracks there. And I'd ask Boxcar, I'd say, Boxcar, Derek, this is, some of the guys want to come over for some drinks after. And is it okay? Well, you know, I'm not big on that. I said, well, I know, but can you be good here? Yeah, I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. Guaranteed he'd get in two or three fights at home. So he didn't care. He, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I pulled him off more guys than I can ever ever imagine to tell you. Old time, old time hockey, right? <laughs> yeah, he was that guy. You know, uh, former uh, a guy who scored fifty goals in the IHL uh, and became our general manager, Paul Fenton, told a story about uh, uh-huh. he plays in Peoria in that eighty two eighty three season. He just gets the crap beaten out of him all the time, and but he's scoring and. Last game is against Milwaukee and he's lining up against Boxcar and Boxcar is just like, you know, just telling him, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And what was it like with maybe, you know, four, uh, under five minutes to go or under 10 minutes to go, he, they line up right before the puck and, uh, and Paul just spears him, just spears him real good to get kicked out of the game. So he could just, and then is just cruising off the ice and boxcars chasing him, screaming at him. Like, I want to kill you. And Paul's just waving at him. <laughs> See you later. I'm done. I'm never coming back. Uh, but he said that, bo- that boxcar would just, just hounded him the whole, the whole season and, and, and playing in, in the IHL, what there's 10 or 12 teams. So you play each team, you know, eight, 10, a lot. 12 times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, a, a good friend of mine too, on, on that, on that Peoria team was Bob the Hammer Fleming. Oh, so right. Him and Boxcar would get at it. So, right. and I, I, and, and Fenton was a hell of a good hockey player. Paul Fenton was a really good, he's another guy that should have had a long NHL career. I mean, that guy was a really good player. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Paul also said that, uh, that Fleming was the only guy who could call Boxcar Daryl. Derek, yeah. Derek, yeah. not Derek. Derek, Derek, Derek. Derek. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, everyone else, yeah. everyone else, you know, Mr. Davis or Boxcar, but oh, but uh, but Bob the Hammer Fleming could call him uh, call him Daryl or Derek. Sorry, I called Daryl two times. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that, that's true. I I still see Bob. Bob has a bar in in uh, Vegas now, just outside of Vegas. I I talk to him uh, twi- two or three times a week. Oh, we wow. had heard. Speaking of that, like we'd heard, and, and maybe we talked about this with you when you were on the radio show with Wojo and, and me earlier, but um, he had, again, he has gatherings or he had a gathering or something like that of all these old IHL players. I mean, did, is that right? Did you take part in that? Yes, he did have it. And that's where I ran into Flesh and um, Brent Jarrett, who played in Milwaukee for a while there too. It, it, it wasn't really well uh, well attended just because it, we, it wasn't timed out right. And it was actually just before that COVID hit. It was actually probably about a, probably about a month or three weeks before that trip I was scheduled to go to Milwaukee on. Okay. So, yep, we, we, we got together. Uh, I saw Flesh. I saw Jarrett, Boxcar, um, Blaine Peerless came with me. Oh, sure. Um, uh, Richard Adolfi was with me. He played at the Admirals. So there's about uh, 10 or 12 or 14 of us. And 
it was going to get bigger for this year, but it, 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 we've had a lot of guys sign up and want to come, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. It, that's, that's one of the cool things about this. That's the fraternity of hockey, right? Like, yeah, Absolutely. You, had, you had your battles, whatever, but at the end of the day, we're all in, in many cases, pretty close to being the same people. Absolutely. That's, Good point. That that is so true. Well, a, a lot of us were, were 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 teammates, or you know, or had a buddy that that were teammates with other guys. So you know, it, it was very easy to become friends with guys like that. And, and also, too, we weren't making big big dollars at all. I mean, we we, we were more in for the love of the game at that time. So you know, it, I I can't see teams hanging out like that anymore. I, I see they all go their own way nowadays. Yeah. Did you speaking of that? We, this gets back to what we were talking about before, uh, Dale. Did you give up on the NHL dream? I mean, you're still a young man when you got to Milwaukee. And as you said, you still wanted to make it. Was there a point where you kind of gave up or did it, I mean, when you retired or when you ended, when you stopped playing, was that, I mean, I'm just curious about how that went. That's another good question. That's a, that's a great question. We went, um, well, then from there, I don't know if you guys remember that we, we were all there and then the Chicago Blackhawks right. took over the Milwaukee Admirals hockey team there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so I, myself and Blaine Peerless, we had a trial with the St. Louis Blues. And I, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for me because I knew their captain, Brian Sutter. I knew uh, probably four guys, Wayne Babbage and Perry Turnbull and, Tony yeah. Curry and a whole bunch of guys on that team I'd played with or against. And I just finished having a, a good season. So we go to training camp the very first day in training camp, they divide us into four teams. And I'm, I'm all of a sudden I'm on Brian Stutter, the captain of the St. Louis blues, team there. And I'm looking through the roster and I think we were team yellow and we, and there's team blue, green and red or whatever else. And I'm looking through here and I said to the guys in the thing before the first scrimmage or whatever else i said keep an eye out you guys for number 64 on the red team here well why who is this his name is blaine peerless well what about him i says he's the hardest hitter i've ever seen in hockey i says he'll take your head off if you're he'll pinch on you and he will put you out well lo and behold who do you think he hits me <laughs> oh, i i i got i got on the ice for Probably two shifts. I knew he was there. I knew he was going to hit me. I didn't think he was going to blow me up like he blew me up. I every every joint in my body was loosened. My mouth, my teeth were all rattled. I spent th the next three days, and there's no concussion protocol or none of that stuff. They didn't even take you to the hospital. I spent the next three days in my bed at the hotel room. I couldn't get out of bed, and then oh I got gosh. cut from there. Wow. Yeah, and I still. I still see Blaine about it, but he was truly was maybe a Scott Stevens, the guy that played with New yep. Jersey or whatever, oh, yeah. might've been close to peerless, but I, I still don't think anybody's ever been as close to a hitter as him. We've heard that so much anyway. about Blaine peerless. It's unbelievable. He, he, he is unbelievable. He's the hardest hitting guy I've ever seen in my life ever. So was well, Callum, was, was you, Callum, oh, go ahead. Well, you heard the story of what, what, what he did in junior hockey, didn't you, Blaine? Refresh us, yeah. Well, he played for Mark Messier's dad. Blaine Peerless was playing Alberta junior hockey before he went to the Western Junior Hockey League. 
Mark Messier's dad is Paul or is, is Doug Messier, and he's old school hockey. And Blaine was a thumper, so his dad, Doug Messier, told Blaine, he says, "I want you to make some noise out here. I want you to fucking hit some. Excuse the language, sorry. I want you to hit some guys. You know, Blaine, no problem, no problem. So Blaine's parents weren't at the game. His parents were in Hawaii on a vacation, and." This game goes on, this Alberta Junior Hockey League game, and this guy comes over the blue line there, and Blaine pinches and hits this guy with a clean body check. Not a penalty, but killed him dead. What? Killed him dead. Oh, I did not know that. I've never heard that before. Not where I was expecting this story to go. Wow. No, no, no. He he killed him dead is the guy who we hit. His dad was a doctor. He scaled the glass, popped on the ice, tried to give his son a tracheotomy. It didn't work. He was he was finished. And Blaine's parents didn't know anything about it. But this was back in the time when I can't remember the guy's name out of Ontario. Uh, he wanted to eliminate violence in hockey. So they charged Blaine with manslaughter. Oh, my and gosh. On, and he was and on the news. 16 years old. Yep, 17 years old. Yep. And, and on the news, it got all the way down to Hawaii, but Blaine's parents thought it was him that got killed. Oh, oh Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a true story. That is an insane story. Wow. Yeah. 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 And so, so you would have thought that after doing that, that maybe a guy He'd like Blaine done. would ease up. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Where, where's your head after that? that? That didn't slow him down at all. Wow, that is yeah, that is That's... amazing. When you said uh, when you yeah. said that, and this is completely off of that topic, but that team that I mean, I'm looking at that the names. Or you got Troy Murray, you got Mark Messier, of course, you've got Ken Solheim who played in the NHL. I mean, there's some names on that club. Absolutely. Yeah, Blaine was friends with all those guys there for sure. Absolutely. Wow. So in the 84-85 season, was Kalamazoo the affiliate of the Blues? Or were you just on a tryout deal for camp with the Blues? Um, It was just a tryout. They they, they weren't affiliated with them at all. No, they they weren't affiliated at all. And and I'm not even sure the the, the, the timing on how it went or whatever else. But, uh, you know, they, they weren't affiliated at all. So you end up in Kalamazoo with like six other admirals. You know, I look at with Fleshy and Kevin Scamahorn and Brent Jarrett and uh, uh, yep. like all yep. sorts, all, all sorts of other guys that uh, that played in Milwaukee. And I guess if you're going to play in the IHL, like we said, there's so few teams that for a, a team to totally dispose of the roster, the guys have got to go somewhere. But I didn't, the- I didn't realize this. I'm just looking at that roster too, and there was a, a rookie goalie there named Ron Hextall. That's right. Hextall was our goalie. That's right. Oh, yeah. Right. You, could, you could you could tell back then that they bought they bought a, a, a like one of those things that throws baseballs, but they bought one for him that shot pucks. That kid oh. there would not get off the, we, we we couldn't have enough guys to shoot pucks on him. He'd be on the ice twenty minutes earlier than anybody else. The trainer'd be out there filling this machine with pucks. And it'd just shoot them at it. And there'd be curveballs and everything else on, on, on a baseball throwing machine they converted to pucks. And then right. he'd do it again after the after the ice time was over. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So at the end of that season, 
Chicago and the Admirals mutually pulled the plug. It did not work the way they wanted it to. So now the Admirals uh-huh. are independent once again. How quickly did you want to come back to Milwaukee? How quickly did, I'm assuming, Phil reach out to you to say, hey, we're trying to get the band back together? Uh, as soon as I could. I mean, uh, there's no comparison between Milwaukee and Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo is a great hockey town, but Milwaukee a, is a great city. Yeah. What is, we're back. We spent 30 years at the Bradley Center, but we're back at Panther Arena now playing games. Uh, which back then was the Mecca that you played at. What was it like to play at the Mecca? What do you remember from, uh, from, from those games? I, I, I liked it. It was, it was nice. I, I remember the, the boards being a bit, a little bit loose so you could really put a hit on a guy. You know what I mean? You, you would, you know, it, it wasn't as solid as some of the other rinks. The other rinks now, you know, if you hit them into it, those, those boards aren't moving, but you know what I mean? Right. They'd have to take those, take the boards down because the Bucks were going to be coming playing in there. So right. it'd be up right. and down. It'd be, you know, just a quick changeover. So, you know, I, I remember that part. I remember uh, the enthusiasm we had, the, the fan base and, and uh, the, the booster clubs that uh, the booster clubs in Milwaukee had was some of the best booster clubs I've ever seen in any, in any league. I mean, we, we had a real good following and, um, uh, I, I loved it there. I, I loved that rink. It was, uh, you know, I, I've been to Milwaukee in a long time, so I don't know what it looks like now. I've seen some pictures and stuff, but it was, it was kind of in the hub right there. It was downtown, you know, it wasn't right. too far from anywhere that we were going. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, the, the, we hear the stories of the booster club and the spaghetti dinners and, uh, and the furniture rentals and things like that. Uh, that really sort of made it special for guys. And I, I can't believe that every city has that type of thing. I don't think every city has it. And in fact, every year that those booster members, they pick a player and at the end of the year, they present that player with a scrapbook. Right. And in that scrapbook is, is, is all the pictures and the newspaper articles. So I still have all those great scrapbooks to this day. Do they still do that? They, it it just stopped uh, maybe a couple of years ago. And like, literally we would, these books that these people do are so incredible such a labor of love yeah oh yeah like they're so they're so big and like the guys love it and the guy's parents love him uh especially for guys you know back in your day you know your parents weren't coming out to milwaukee five or six times a year to see you play so this is as close as they could probably get to seeing what it was like for you there's no tv there was no internet uh, absolutely you, you're, you're right about that they, they never ever came to milwaukee my parents didn't they they came they went to uh salt lake city because i had a brother who lives up there so that's they combined going and visiting my brother and and coming to a hockey game so that's yeah. the only place they ever saw me play what so do you end, oh, oh, go ahead charlie i was just gonna say what do you remember about playing you uh playing for uh lloyd pettit uh what was what was he like what were your interactions with him like Lloyd Pettit was a great guy. He, he was an awesome guy. He was, he was genuinely involved. He, um, he was always around the team. Him and Jane were always, uh, always around the team. He was, he was a hockey man. I mean, he was a Chicago right. Blackhawks announcer at one time, right? Hall, hall, yeah. Hall, hall of Fame. Famer. Hall of Famer. Yeah. 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 So yeah, he was awesome. He, he, he was awesome. And, uh, he genuinely cared, and that's, that was one of the biggest things that, that we all regret. We didn't bring a championship for Lloyd. You know, it, it's interesting what Charlie said about Toledo earlier, and uh, 
it's, it's different now, but it, you, you, you could name a few of the owners and I don't know that a lot of players nowadays could name the owners of the no. team that they play against. It, it just, again, it it's that fraternity, but it was, it was much smaller and a, and a closer knit maybe back then. Oh, absolutely. It was. And there's a few of us that, that, that stayed there year round. I mean, and, and sure. uh, Phil Whitliff was, Phil Whitliff was good friends with, um, Oh, uh, the old commissioner of baseball, Bud, Bud Selig. Selig. Bud yeah. Selig, yeah. Yeah, so we had uh, Bud Selig was a big fan of the Admirals too. He'd come in and watch, and Boxcar Davis was his favorite player. Oh, is so, that right? So he, oh, absolutely, absolutely. He'd come right to Boxcar Stall, and you know what was it like, or did you land a good one on him, or whatever <laughs> else. So we we would have we'd have tickets to watch the Brewers in the summertime. There'd be uh, above the visiting team's dugout or the on deck circle. So yeah. we got to, that was our chance to catcall some of the players the same way that some of the fans in the other rinks catcalled. But doing it to you. Yeah. Did, I, you, did yeah. you ever have a chance to go out? Like Danny has talked about, I think Danny LaCour told the story, Charlie, about being at Charlie Moore's going away party is something like that. Uh, did you ever have the chance back then? Because you guys did live year round. Did you have the chance to develop relationships with Brewers, Bucks, Packers, whoever that might be? Oh, absolutely, for sure. We uh, we went to Vegas one time with Paul Mulkeski, who was a center. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we used to right there. That's about to... as Milwaukee as you can get. That is, yes, absolutely. <laughs> right going to yep. Vegas with Paul Mulkeski. Yep. We we our, our golf group in uh, a lot of that year was Jack Sigma. And Paul McKeskey would take on myself and Danny LaCours in a golf game. Wow. So can you can you imagine? So these guys are well, Mulkeski's seven two or whatever, Sigma's six eleven, seven feet. I'm six five and Danny's five five. So we'd all, you know, somebody somebody make a birdie at birdie shot. I could high five those guys, but Danny couldn't get close to any of us. <laughs> That's so good. Plus, uh, plus, we got to know uh, Scott 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 Styles pretty good. Scott Skiles, okay, the, the coach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when he got, yeah, we got to know him pretty good. Uh, Paul Molitor, we had some drinks with him a few different times. Um, there was quite a few other guys. Uh, oh, and I, then I got to play in that Vince Lombardi golf tournament. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I got to, got to meet a whole bunch of the old Packers, from Lynn Dickey to Bart Starr. To well, Walter Payton and Mike Ditka and a whole bunch of guys like that. I got to rub shoulders with those guys at the time, so it was a lot of fun. Is it as easy? Go. I mean, your your hockey players, their basketball. Play, I mean, you all have similar experiences, not one hundred percent the same. But is it is it easy to pick up conversations? Have no there's there's no barriers there when you when you meet somebody like that. No, I, I don't think there is. I, I don't think there is. And, and, the, and, and the same thing in your guys' business with, with, with any of the celebrity announcers and any of these guys, you know, they, they all appreciate a job you're doing. It's, everybody has a different road to get to where they got to. I mean, more so in the basketball, it's, 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 a, it's a school road. You know what I mean? It's a college way to get right. there. Even in the football, it's a college way. There was not many college guys doing the hockey way. We were all more or less junior hockey guys that left home at 14 or 15 years old and, and, and went that way there. So, and, and, and we're all, we're all fans of, uh, fans of different sports too. I mean, right. I'm sure you guys are fans of different radio announcers and different sure. stuff like that. So 
you know, it, it's all, it's all relative. Are the conversations about that then, or are they just normal? Hey, what'd you do last weekend? Kind of, I mean, just normal everyday things. No, it, it, it's more so on our end of it because these guys wouldn't know your Claude Noels and whatever else. So we'd be asking Mokeski, well, what's Bob Lanier like, or what right. is Larry Berg like, or, you know, was Magic Johnson that good a guy or, Right. You know what I mean? Or, you know, hey, hey, what's Cal Ripken like? You know, is, is he that, you know? So that, that was the difference there. Yeah. The uh, the end of your career, sort of that last year, 86, 87, you still, you were still producing. You're a point of game guy. What, why was it the time to, I mean, you got traded from Milwaukee to Kalamazoo at the end of the year, right? Uh-huh. Uh, why was it, why was that the end for you? Well, the reason probably was, was by that time I realized I wasn't going to make the NHL and I did have a whole bunch of money and an opportunity. I tied up some money with my dad in this oil field service company. And at that time I was 30 years old or 29 years old. I had a chance, I had an offer to go over to Germany to play hockey in Germany for some pretty good dollars. But probably the biggest reason was, was the Olympics were coming to Calgary in 1988 and they announced it in probably 80. So I had enough people that said, Hey, listen, you know, can I come to Calgary and I stay with you when the Olympics? So that was probably the biggest reason. And I probably had five or six or seven or eight guys come and stay with me during the Olympics that I'd met from 80 to 88. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, interesting. And, and plus, and, and, and plus the business opportunity, the oil patch was good. The, the oil, the oil field was good out here. And, you know, it was my, it was my dad wanted, uh, you know, I, I really never had a chance to really know my dad that well. I moved away from home at 15 years old, you know, and then I didn't come back until I was 30 years old. And then lo and behold, when I come back, it wasn't too long after I came back that he developed brain cancer. And I'm glad I was around for that. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd missed 15 years of my life with him and I was around for the last three years of his life. Yeah. Well, it's, so, yeah, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah. That's, that certainly is a blessing. Um, we, when we wrap these up, we always ask kind of, well, this question exactly. When you think of your time in Milwaukee, what do you think of? I think... I wish I was that age again and I was there again. I, that was the most enjoyable time of my life is what I think of. I have so many memories, so many friends that I'd met there. A lot of my lost contact with, that's why I was really looking forward to getting back there last year before we got canceled out there. But that was the fun. That was the funnest part of my life. That was, uh, I was 22 to 29 years old. It was, it was the highlight of my life so far was, was the time I spent in Milwaukee. We, we got to know that city very well. The city got to know us. I stayed there more or less year round. I, uh, you know, I, I participated in any of the golf functions, any of the fundraisers. We would go to Chicago. We'd go to Detroit. It, it was the funnest time of my life. Well, we're going to do everything we can, obviously, to, to make sure that we can get you here and, and, uh, kind of relive some of this stuff here. It's, uh, Charlie, do you have anything else? I don't have anything else. That's a, well, what a nice, well, very kind thing. Great thing to say to, uh, to end yeah. 
Absolutely. It has been a thrill. Thank you so much for all the time here. We, we always say we're going to go about 40, 45 minutes and we always blow past that because yeah, right. as we have, we have nice uh, interviewees and, and, and people who tell great stories. And uh, Dale, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate it, you guys. And like I said, I really look forward to seeing you guys in person and meeting you guys. You're here. here, yeah, here. Absolutely. So same with us, for sure. Admiral's all time. I great. got the first. Go, you I got, got the, the first, first five rounds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, goal, Goolsby's is still kicking. So yeah, we better, uh, it we is. better. Yeah, let's yeah. let's make this happen sooner than later, then, because I'm thirsty. Let's do this. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, you best, guys. Dale. Stay, no stay problem, well. Dale. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for the time. That's the great Dale Yakachuk, and thank you for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast.